Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. All right, so uh, I got a lot to cover today. We got some local stuff. We've got some uh, state stuff. I want to start at the uh, the national level, though, where uh, do you remember? It's been a while. So let me try to set the table for those who may not have been around uh, when this occurred. Do you remember when uh, President Biden was accused of uh, corruption, of taking money, and people were like, oh, no, there's no direct connection there's, you know, you can't directly link Biden to the money. Do you remember that? I'm old enough to remember that. And uh, I said it's just it's probably going to take like a big fat check with, uh, you know, uh, the president of China's signature on it. And in the memo line, it's going to say something like, you know, to bribe Joe Biden or something. Right. Or for corruption of the Biden family. It has to be very clearly you know, the, the check made out to Joe, the big guy, Biden, you know, the amount of money and all, and then have the memo line clearly, uh, clearly outlining that it's corruption related. Well, it's not, it, this is not quite that, but it's pretty darn close. Margot Cleveland reporting at The Federalist. Margot Cleveland, by the way, is a former uh, federal prosecutor, if I recall correctly. Um, anyway, uh, headline, follow 40,000 from China to Joe Biden's bank account. Joe Biden received $40,000 from Chinese communists funneled through his son and brother and their businesses. That according to new details from the House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer. A 12-page memorandum from the committee to the majority members of the committee from the staff, I should say, of the committee to the majority members of the committee that the Federalist has reviewed details the latest development that Comer summarized in a video press release. The bottom line is a $40,000 check from Sarah and James Biden's, James is Joe's brother. I don't think that's the one that was posting nudies of himself, nude pics of himself onto Grindr or one of the dating apps or whatever it was. Not that brother. And not Joe, the the skinny-dipping senator, vice president. Not, not that one either. This one apparently, I guess, does not parade around naked in front of people of the three brothers. But whatever. Um, $40,000 check from Sarah and James Biden's personal checking account written to Joe Biden on September 3rd, 2017. And on the memo line, it says loan repayment. But if you follow the money upstream, if you go, if you start backtracking it, right, it reveals that the money originated from the Chinese, quote, business partners that Hunter Biden had threatened just a little over a month prior. Hunter Biden had sent a WhatsApp message on July 30th, 2017 to a guy named Raymond Zhao, or Z, as he is referred to. 
He is an associate of a Chinese energy company called CEFC. Right? Hunter and James were courting them. They were trying to get their business all throughout 2016. This is while Joe, you know, at this point is like not going to run for president because Hillary Clinton's running for president. He's, you know, he's already planning his retirement, which includes a lot of deals with, you know, foreign oligarchs and tyrannical governments, but whatever. Um, After Joe leaves office at the end of the Obama administration, According to one of Hunter Biden's business partners, the Chinese Communist-connected CEFC sent them a $3 million wire that came through in March of 2017 as a, quote, thank you for the Biden's assistance in furthering their business interests. Man, if I told you how many times I got $3 million bank uh, transfers as a thank you, how many times? Well, no, actually, yeah, I've never actually gotten a wire transfer as a thank you ever. But my father was never vice president, so maybe that was it. CEFC, while sending the $3 million, they had committed to investing an additional $10 million. That's in an email recovered from Hunter Biden's abandoned laptop. They were going to use the $10 million to form a joint venture. CEFC's founder and chairman, this is Yi, Yi Zhengming, Yi was told uh, was supposed to hold 50% interest in the company. And then Hunter Biden, Jim Biden, a couple other business associates, they would hold the other 50%. Right? So you got this one company split in half between the commie Chinese and the Bidens and 50-50. That email said Hunter Biden would own a 10% interest in the holding company for, quote, the big guy. The big guy is Tony Bobolinsky. One of the business associates said is Joe Biden. Right? 10% would go to the big guy. 10 million joint venture. Right? 10% for the big guy. Here's the problem. A couple months go by. As of the end of July 2017, and the $10 million cash had not come through yet. That prompted Hunter Biden to text his buddy Z. Not Yi, but Z. He calls him Z, but his name is Zhao. Raymond Zhao, I think is his name. Yeah, anyway, it doesn't matter. He, he texts Z on the WhatsApp application on the phone, telling him to, quote, please have the director call me, not James or Tony or Jim. Have him call me tonight, with the director being an apparent reference to the executive director of the CEFC, uh, James and Tony were business partners, Tony Bobolinsky, and uh, Jim is Jim Biden, his uncle. And this is where he makes the threat, right? I'm sitting here with my dad. We'd like to understand why the commitment made has not been fulfilled. Like, where's our $10 million? The Oversight Committee Memorandum then details how in that message uh, on July 31st, Z responds, quote, CEFC is willing to cooperate with the family. Hunter later followed up with a text to another CEFC associate. This guy's name is Dong, Gongwen Dong. And Dong says, the Bidens are the best I know at doing exactly what the chairman wants from this partnership. Please, let's not quibble over peanuts. Peanuts. $10 million. Peanuts. Okay. The money soon begins flowing. Quibbling is over. 
Hunter Biden first opens a bank account. This is where it gets kind of confusing, all right? So just follow me here. He opens a bank account August 3rd. This is for a new company called Hudson West 3. That's going to serve as the joint venture between Hunter Biden and Dong, right? The company that they're dividing in half. They're going to be 50-50 partners in. Hunter Biden's business that he has separately is called Owasco PC. They own 50% of Hudson West. Dong's company, Hudson West 5, owns the other 50%. A couple days later, financial records show Hunter Biden's new business venture gets a $5 million wire from the CEFC-connected business, Northern International Capital. This comes from China. That same day, Hunter Biden transfer he transfers $400,000 out of Hudson West and into his corporation, Owasco. From those funds, he buys the Porsche, and then he transfers money to other of his personal and business accounts. Spread some of that money around through different accounts. A couple days after that, this is still August 2017, Hunter Biden wires $150,000 from his Hudson West 3 account to the Lion Hall Group. That company is owned by James and Sarah Biden, his Uncle Jim and his Aunt Sarah. Two weeks after that wire goes through, Sarah Biden signs a withdrawal ticket for $50,000 from the Lion Hall Group bank account. And on the same day, she deposits that 50k into her and James's joint personal checking account. And then a couple of days after that, Sarah Biden signs a $40,000 check payable to Joe Biden, which is 10% The $400,000 is the 10%. Because the $400,000 that Hunter Biden got, he got from CEFC. And he was in charge of holding the 10% for the big guy. And then the big guy got paid out. But he couldn't get paid out from Hunter. He got paid out from Uncle Joe. Or sorry, Uncle Jim. Uncle Jim and Aunt Sarah. That's who paid him out for a, quote, loan repayment. But there's no big check with the, you know, memo line that says corruption. But this is pretty close. This is how money laundering works. You trace all the money back and see where, you know, where it went. And then you try to plug all of the uh, information into the timeline, which is what the IRS investigators were trying to do. Oh, that's right. Until uh, Joe Biden's DOJ shut them down. Right. Um, I have an open letter here from Democratic voters. Dear Mr. President and Democratic Party leadership, the National Muslim Democratic Council, or the NMDC, or as I call it, the NMDC, the Democratic Party activists and voters from across the nation and pivotal background states write to express our deep concern regarding the ongoing massacre in Gaza. The massacre of over 8,000 Palestinians and the humanitarian catastrophe in Gaza are unacceptable. We call on the White House to urgently advocate for an immediate ceasefire. Your administration's unconditional support encompassing funding and armaments has played a significant role in perpetuating the violence that is causing civilian casualties and has eroded trust in voters who previously put their faith in you. 
The situation in Gaza has reached a critical juncture, nearing a complete humanitarian catastrophe, and we implore you to take immediate action to secure a ceasefire by Tuesday, October 31. Oh, oh, all right. Well, the deadline passed. Sorry, I thought I thought we had a little more time on that. Um, Joe didn't Joe didn't come out and well. Here's the threat from the uh, uh, the or the National Muslim Democratic Council uh, and the party activists and the voters from across the nation and pivotal background states. Right, I don't know how many people they're talking about, but they say that they will mobilize. We pledge to mobilize Muslim, Arab, and allied voters to withhold endorsement, support, or votes for any candidate who did not advocate for a ceasefire and endorse the Israeli offensive against the Palestinian people. We will mobilize increased voter turnout to make our voices heard. The state of Michigan in the 2020 election was decided by a mere 2.6% of uh, margin of victory and holds 16 crucial electoral votes. We emphasize the significance of Michigan, Ohio, Iowa, Florida. Wait, Florida? Wait, did you guys not see what happened in Florida? Last time? Okay. Arizona, Nevada, Georgia, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Tennessee, where many of our voters reside. So the deadline has now passed. So Joe Biden did not, as far as I know, he did not uh, come out and um, advocate for a ceasefire. There are people, though, uh, in the Democratic Party that um, that have been defend uh, have been defending Israel. So it sounds like a lot of these people are now going to face primaries. I mean, good luck with that, Democrats. But you remember the old thing about alligators getting fed and the feeders hoping that they get eaten last? Uh, that, uh, that whole thing? Yeah. They got nothing else on the menu, folks. Just putting that out there. So have you been following what's gone on up at Yale? No, of course you haven't. I haven't either because it's Yale and I don't really care. But the Yale Daily News, that is their student paper, which... I mean, that's a bit of a humble brag, I think. Uh, You're putting out a paper every single day. Although in today's day and age, you could do the Daily News and not put out the dead tree copy. Because, like, when I was in, uh, well, in um, high school, uh, we put out the school paper, and that thing was only, like, once a month, I want to say. And then I got to college, and it was, like, once a week. But Yale, apparently they put out their newspaper every day. The Yale Daily. What about the Yaley? Could be just called the Yaley. Isn't that what they're called? People who go there? Aren't they called Yaleys? Anyway. So they published an opinion column back on October 12th. And it was titled, oh yeah, here, Yaleys. Yaleys for Palestine. And is Yaleys for Palestine a hate group? That was the, the title of the column. It was an opinion piece. And then the next day, October 13th, So this is, what, six days after the Hamas atrocities. The Yale Daily News published a separate opinion piece. That one was titled, Stop Justifying Terrorism. All right, so in that first one on October 12th, Israelis for Palestine Hate Group, the author of that piece 
said, quote, yes, they raped women, talking about Hamas. Yes, they beheaded men. In the uh, opinion piece the next day, the author wrote that Hamas, quote, committed rape. The source that the columnists cited suspected cases of sexual assault. This is, I'm reading from the Yale Daily News editor, Annika, or Anika, Annika, Seth is her name. Actually, hang on a second. She does not list her pronouns. So what am I to do now? You don't kill me. It has your right up here. Annika Seth is the 146th editor-in-chief and president of the Yale Daily News. Annika previously covered STEM at Yale, as well as admissions, alumni, and financial aid. She all, oh, okay, well, there we go, she. I mean, you made me read all the way down there to find out your pronouns. What are we even sending you to an Ivy League school for? I mean, really? She also laid out the weekly print edition of the news and uh, as a production and design editor and was one of the inaugural Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion co-chairs. Annika is pursuing a double major in biomedical engineering and women's gender and sexuality studies. They go together like peas and carrots. What do you think? Biomedical engineer and women's gender and sexuality studies, which, um, what's up, transphobe? Why is it women's gender and sexuality? Studies. What's up with that? All right, back to her, back to her uh, uh, piece today, or, or her explanation. This is an explanation because of what happened with these two editorial or uh, opinion columns that the paper published, and because the columnists said Hamas had raped and beheaded people, the Yale Daily News <clears throat> went back two weeks later and edited those passages out. Two weeks after they were published, the editors went back and deleted the references to the beheadings and the rapings. Here's their explanation. Because people noticed it, like particularly the authors of the pieces noticed it. So why did you take it out? Here's the explanation. During our opinion editing process, which is separate from reported coverage, got to always make clear, right? The editorial staff has nothing to do with any of the reporting stuff. She says the news failed to ensure that the columnists' statements were properly cited and attributed. As Brett Winterbull might say, the system failed. Right? The system failed. That's what that's this explanation. That the Daily News, it's not a person, it wasn't an individual, right? It was just the newspaper, the inanimate object, whatever like corporate structure was set up to run this or or nonprofit structure was set to run the newspaper. I guess that failed somehow. That didn't do the due diligence. That didn't check and see if the um if these uh, references were properly cited and attributed. She says, at the time of the column's initial publication, those specific forms of violence during Hamas's October 7th attack were not independently confirmed by the cited source. 
So they didn't check it at all. That's what this sounds like. Now, I found the evidence that that had occurred within 24 hours. But then again, I went looking for it because I wanted to make sure it was true. And when you get the preponderance of evidence that it was true, then you go with it. And the evidence comes from the eyewitness accounts. Eyewitness accounts, admittedly, from Jews, but also in some of the videos that were posted by the terrorists. Some videos that were sent to the victims' families, right? So that's what I did before I just started retweeting people. I went through and I, I checked to see, like, is this stuff correct? That's how I do it. But apparently the, the, Daily, the, the Yale Daily News did not. And so two weeks after these columns run, which was a week after the atrocities, on October 25th and October 26th, the Daily News publishes corrections, quote-unquote corrections, to both pieces. The news was wrong to publish the corrections, she says. By the time of the first correction, there had been widely reported coverage from outlets such as Reuters publicly verifying that Hamas raped and beheaded Israelis. So why did you miss that too? This doesn't make any sense at all. At first you're saying that the, oh, well, it, you know, two weeks later, we, we check the, the source that you're citing and it doesn't say that. So we, we obliterate all of the references to this in the original columns. But at the time you're deciding that, there is evidence that it occurred. So why wouldn't you leave it in? She says these corrections erroneously created the impression that as of late October, there was still not enough publicly available evidence for those horrific acts. The news therefore retracts those editors' notes in their entirety and without qualification. The notes have been removed from the columns and the original text has been restored. It was never our intention to minimize the brutality of Hamas's attack against Israel. We are sorry for any unintended consequences to our readership, blah, blah, blah. And then get this. Threats of violence leveled against the news, its editors, and their families have intensified this week. Threats of this severity are unacceptable in any circumstance. Except that whole river to the sea chant. Like, that's fine, I think. Hey, so real quick, hurricane season is here, and this is your reminder to check your emergency supplies. You should have a three-day supply of food, water, and medicines, minimum. And Carolina Readiness Supply can help you get started or expand your supply. Food, water purifiers, lighting, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies too, because being prepared is just smart. Carolina Readiness Supply has 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials that you can use for any kind of emergency. Whether you're an experienced prepper or you have no clue what you're doing, or maybe you're somewhere in between, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you in Waynesville and always at carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply, will you be ready when the lights go out? Uh, thank you for your unwavering support, uh, Hellion, uh, who uh, applauds my excellent acronym pronunciations. Thank you. I went to college to learn how to do that properly. It was under a mass communication program degree. Do not attempt that at home. I'm a trained professional. Um, let's see here. A barrage of Israeli airstrikes leveled apartment buildings in a refugee camp. Have you heard this story? Yeah, if you've seen pictures, you might have a different understanding of what the term refugee camp has than, like, than what you had before you saw the pictures. It's, it looks like a city. Um, 
This was near Gaza City. Yesterday, rescuers clawing through the destruction to pull men, women, and children from the rubble. Israel said the strike, which targeted a senior Hamas military leader, destroyed a militant command center. A militant command center. This is the AP. Remember, the AP uh, guidebook says Hamas are not terrorists. They are militants because the word terrorist has just become politicized. Even though terrorist and terrorism has an actual definition that Hamas fits and has been designated as such by the United States and other countries. It destroyed, according to the Israelis, it destroyed this terrorist command center and an underground tunnel network. And if you've seen any of the video of this, you can see how the tunnels collapse because the missile drops in, boom, there's an explosion, and then you see these big puffs of sm- of uh, dirt, these plumes of dirt, not smoke, dirt, that come through fr- and, and or they like about, I don't know, if you're looking at the photo, it's probably a good 200 yards away from the site. And all of a sudden, just out of the blue, just out of nowhere, up from the ground, like a geyser, comes a whole bunch of dust. Where did that come from? It came from their tunnels. And um, according to the Israelis, they hit Hamas tunnels that were filled with rockets and other explosives underneath this, quote, refugee camp. This is called Jabalia, Jabalaya, Jabalia. The ground collapsed. Gazans fell into the uh, the holes, the sinkholes, the pits. Hamas explosives then started going off. So what could go wrong uh, when storing arms and terrorists underneath the uh, Palestinians, right? The Israeli military said dozens of militants were killed. That's not true, actually, Associated Press. They say dozens of terrorists were killed. They don't call them militants. The Israelis do not call them militants. They call them terrorists, including... Another key Hamas commander. Israel aggressively defended the attack with military spokesman Jonathan Kornikus saying that the targeted commander had been a key planner of the bloody October 7th rampage that started the war. And again, don't we're not going to document any of the atrocities. Uh, the AP is just going to call it a, a rampage. Uh, and another reference, they just call it an assault. And that's it. Neither side's account could be independently confirmed, they said, um, because the Israelis say that the apartment buildings collapsed because the underground tunnel system and uh, command and control complex had been destroyed. And when they caved in, the stuff above them caves in too, falls into the ground. So I'm curious. I don't know. Maybe this is a random question, maybe completely unrelated. But why is a Hamas leader in a refugee camp? Is he a refugee? He's Hamas. They 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 run the operation. They 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 control Gaza. He's in leadership. What's he doing in the what's he doing in a quote refugee camp? Surely he wouldn't be trying to hide among the civilian population in order to get propaganda wins after the civilians get killed. Surely no even though that's what they say they do. Early uh, today, the Palestinian telecoms company, Paltel, that's actually pretty clever. Paltel, that's, yeah. Uh, They reported a complete disruption of internet and mobile phone services in Gaza 
marking the second time in five days that Gaza residents were largely cut off from the world. That's a really weird thing. I don't think I've ever heard of cutting out communications on an area before a war with them. That's unheard of, I don't think. This may be the first time in world history that you would sever communications for the enemy. The strike in Jabalia, Jabalaya, Jabalaya, underlined the anticipated surge in casualties on both sides as Israeli troops battling Hamas militants, there it is again, advanced deeper into the northern Gaza Strip towards dense residential neighborhoods. Israel has vowed to crush Hamas's ability to govern Gaza or threaten Israel following the October 7th assault, which ignited the war. Hamas, an Islamic militant group, openly calls for the destruction of Israel, as, as militants are known to do. Oh, by the way, the Hamas leader went on uh, another, did another interview and said, we're going to keep doing more October 7th. Anybody calling for a ceasefire at this point is an idiot. Hamas just told you they're going to keep doing more. They haven't stopped firing their rockets, and they plan to do more butchery like we saw on October 7th. Why would you want to ceasefire with them? Uh-huh.